and we'll be turning to the Old Testament book of Psalms, and uh, we'll begin uh, read through the psalm here, Psalm chapter 9 of David, and we'll consider some thoughts that hopefully be help uh, to you here this morning as we consider some thoughts on the judgment of God, the judgment of God. And so as we consider this chapter and other scriptures here today, uh, many may not believe in the judgment of God, but there is the judgment of God. And we'll be uh, dividing that up in some thoughts here today as we consider an overview of the judgment of God. Psalm chapter uh, 9, starting in verse number 1. I'll read through most of this chapter, but again, I'm going to encourage you to read through it all uh, some other time, maybe this afternoon. And uh, let's begin in Psalm chapter 9 and verse number 1. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. When my enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou saddest in the throne, uh, judging right. Thou hast rebuked the heathen. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destruction are come to a perpetual end. And thou hast destroyed cities. Their memorial is perished with them. For the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in the times of trouble. For they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, has not forsaken them that seek thee. I want to skip forward here a little bit. Verse 16. The Lord is known by judgment, by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Hagan, sorry, Hagian, Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not uh, already be forgotten, and the expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail, let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. This morning I want to consider an overview of the judgments or the judgment of God. Let's pray as we consider this thought. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word here today. And as we look at it, Father, help to give us light and understanding concerning this, this theme, if you would, of judgment. Father, as we consider, again, the scriptures, help us, Lord, to believe what the word of God says and to respond in a way that would be pleasing to you. Father, help us, Lord, uh, because we know, again, the terror of the Lord to seek to persuade men. I pray that you just bless this time as we look at this psalm and other scriptures here today. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. And I would guess that the theme of the judgment of God is probably not the most popular one. In fact, a lot of people won't talk much about this particular subject. But the Bible does speak much on this subject. Some 300 times the word judgment is used in the scriptures. And certainly there are judgments past and judgments future. 
when it comes to the scriptures. The word judgment is used several times in this passage of scripture backing up to verse number four. It says, for thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou saddest in the throne judging right. Judging right. Verse number eight, actually verse seven, it says, for the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness he shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. Verse 16, the Lord is known by the judgment which he executed. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Hagan Selah, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. And certainly, again, this whole chapter deals with the judgment of God. Verse 19, it says, Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. You know, when we think about the judgment of God, many people think there's just one general judgment. And again, if you would have talked to me, I think years ago about the judgment of God, I would say, you know, we're going to be judged in a particular fashion. Maybe not in this fashion, but most people think of the judgment of God as being kind of a uh, a weight and balance kind of judgment. Uh, their good works on one side and what they've done as far as right on the other side and, and the judgment takes place along those lines. That's what the judgment of God is like. It's, again, maybe a scale type balance judgment. If your good deeds outweigh your bad days, God, uh, bad deeds, God will let you into heaven. And so a lot of people have uh, thoughts along that lines or maybe just slightly different than that, those thoughts there. But most believe in just a general judgment. There's just a day when God will judge. And, and again, today I hope to enlighten your minds concerning what the Bible says on the subject of judgment. As we consider thoughts along the lines of judgment, I want us to first of all understand, let's turn back to Job chapter 11, verse number 16, that all the judgments of God are, are tempered with mercy. All the judgment of God's are tempered with mercy. And again, as we consider an overview of the judgments of God, Job chapter 11 and uh, verse number six, the Bible says, and, and, and that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom that uh, they are doubled to they which is. Know therefore that uh, God ex exacteth of thee less than thy iniquities deserves. Again, uh, the Bible talks about, again, God exacting less than what we deserve. That doesn't mean his judgment is not just. Doesn't mean his judgment is not right. It's just the way that God is. He tempers his judgment with mercy. Again, if you're taking notes, Ezra chapter 9, verse 13, our God hath punished us less than our iniquities deserve. Our God hath punished us less than our iniquities deserve. Let's turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Again, as we consider the judgments of God, again, these are just some introductory thoughts. God's judgments are tempered with mercy. But let me say this. Secondly, and again, we've talked just very little bit about this, but secondly, God's judgments are just and right. They're just and right. Uh, we may not think they're just and right. Some people might not think they're good and right. Uh, they may not think they're according to what they'd like to see as right. 
But again, God's judgment is right. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse number four, the Bible says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. Let's turn back to our text here, Psalm chapter 9. Now we're going to depart from Psalm chapter 9 as we consider an overview of the judgments of God. As we consider an overview of the judgments of God, we're going to look at a lot of scripture here this morning, so just follow along and, and try to keep up if you can as we consider some thoughts about judgment. Again, the judgment of God, Psalm chapter 9, verse 8, it says, He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. He shall judge the world in righteousness. And so it'll be according to what is right, truly right. You know, we live in a world where wrong is considered right and right is considered wrong. But we'll be judged according to the righteousness of God. I'm not going to have you turn there, but if you're taking notes, again, we're going to consider a lot of scripture here today. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse number 5. The just God is in the midst of thee. He will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. The just God. And so as we consider some thoughts on the judgments of God, we see again God does those things that are right and those things that are just, and he, again, judges after righteousness. He would judge after the scriptures, which certainly is a righteous book. And uh, let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and uh, verse number 9. As we consider some thoughts on the judgment of God, it would be good for each one to consider that God will bring them into judgment. That's what the scripture says. God will bring every person into judgment. There are several judgments, and we'll be looking at them in just a moment. But Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse number 9, the Bible says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. And walk in the ways of thy heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. So could I ask you a question? Will there be a judgment? Will God bring everybody into judgment? Yes, he will. And so we're going to consider an overview of the judgments of God as we consider them today. I want to, again, draw your attention to five major notable judgments of God. Again, we'll consider the first one here, the judgment of God upon sin. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. The judgment of God upon sin. Now, this is a past judgment of God. And maybe you haven't thought of it as a judgment of God, but this is a, a judgment of God upon sin. When did this take place? When did God judge sin? Well, he judged sin largely on the cross of Calvary, and that judgment was laid upon Jesus. The judgment of God was laid upon Jesus. Let's look here in the scriptures. Isaiah talks about this, and certainly a lot of New Testament verses talk about this. But Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 4, Surely hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the solder, and as a sheep before it shears his dumb, so opening not his mouth. He was taken from prison, from judgment, and who had declared his generation, for he was cut off of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. But it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when he shall make his, uh, his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall many righteous servants justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and was made intercessions for the transgressors. Again, as we consider the judgments of God, we see, first of all, the judgment of God upon sin. This happened in the past. This happened and took place upon Jesus. The Bible says there in verse number 6, the Bible says, All we like streak have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought, before, uh, brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a, as a sheep before his shears uh, is dumb. So opened he not his mouth. And uh, verse 5, it says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. We see here the judgment of God upon sin. Jesus bore the judgment of God on the cross. Jesus was judged for man's sin, for your sins personally on the cross. This was a substitute sin bearer. He didn't deserve any of it. But what you see happen to him on the cross is what should happen to us for sin. We should have been in that place where we're stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And he did this for his people. It says that in verse number 8. Uh, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. It goes on in verse 10. For it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Yet put him to grief, when he shall make his soul an offering for sin. And so the judgment of God we see there on the cross. Jesus became that substitute sin bearer. He suffered a perfect and precious lamb, suffered in our place. He received the just judgment of God, the death penalty for sin, for the wages of sin is death. And Jesus took that on the cross. When we think about the judgment of God, maybe we, we wouldn't think about this as a judgment. But
but it was God's judgment for sin that took place on the cross that he could provide mercy and grace to those who trust in that sin substitute for their sin. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Jesus was judged for sin upon the cross. This is a judgment of God. This is a past judgment of God. Isaiah speaks of it prophetically. It took place there when Jesus came to this earth to be Jesus, who was to save people from their sin. And again, he took this penalty for us, as is mentioned in the scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse number 21. It says, for you've made to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God laid judgment upon his son. He laid judgment on his son on the cross. He set his son as a sin bearer for us. He became the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That judgment was appropriated by God, and it was, again, a just judgment for sin. He bare the sin of many, the Bible says, there on the cross. He became sin for us, as it mentions there in this passage of Scripture. Let's turn to Hebrews uh, chapter 2. Just go forward here in the Bible, some here, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Why this judgment? So that there might be mercy that could be provided for us. There could be mercy provided for us. Without this judgment for sin, there wouldn't be a way of mercy for us. And so the Lamb provided this for us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 9, it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Why this judgment? So that there might be grace. He tastes death for every man so that we wouldn't have to taste death like that. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Just forward here, a few books here. 1 Peter chapter 3. Again, the judgment of God upon sin. Sin was placed on the cross. The judgment of God was placed on the sin-bearer Jesus. He was placed on Jesus Christ, that sacrifice for us. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says this, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened in the spirit. Put the death in the spirit. Uh, put the death in the flesh, that he might bring us to God. That's important. That he might bring us to God. And so we see the first judgment that we consider here this morning as we consider the judgments of God. Secondly, we see the judgment of God not only on sin, but also on saints or the servants of God. Now, this is talked about, if you would, in several passages, but let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Again, if you're taking notes, you can write down 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 11 through verse number 15. You can also write down 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. And then also Romans chapter 14, verse 10 through 12. What we're talking about is the judgment seat of Christ. 
This is a different kind of judgment. And again, we'll see again what this judgment is about, beginning here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. This is for those who have been saved by grace, is a judgment that deals with their life that they live for Christ after salvation. Again, we'll just pick up at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is a judgment for service. And it's for service after salvation. Again, this is written to believers and specifically to this particular church, but certainly expands to all of us. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 1. It says, And I, brother, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but unto you as carnal, as unto babes in Christ. And so this is certainly dealing with people that are in Christ. The brethren, as it mentions there, verse number one, I, brethren, could not speak to you as babes in Christ. And so this is written to babes in Christ. It's written again to uh, those that are uh, strong in Jesus Christ too. But uh, let's move on. Verse 11 talks about this particular judgment. It says, For other foundation could no man lay that is laid, which is uh, Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold and silver and precious stone, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work uh, abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And so what is this judgment about? It's about rewards. It's a reward judgment. And again, most of you are familiar with the judgment seat of Christ and this particular kind of judgment. But again, we're just going to look at it a little bit here this morning. Uh, some will receive reward. It mentions that verse number 14. It says, if any man's work shall abide thereupon he, that he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And it mentions how these works and these rewards will be uh, given out. It mentions there in verse number 12, as if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, uh, wood, hay, or stubble. And so there's a difference in rewards. There's a difference in works. And uh, some of the works or service are looked at as wood, hay, and stubble. Uh, again, I believe this is because it may be of a temporal kind of a focus, building a life uh, on things that would soon be burnt up and could be destroyed. Wood, hay, stubble, those are all things that can be destroyed quite easily. And then there's also, uh, again, it mentions uh, uh, gold, silver, and precious stones. And again, I believe this, again, uh, deals with, again, rewards that are be given uh, to people that had a more of an eternal focus. Uh, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, just going forward here just a little bit here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is the other passage that deals with this, this subject of rewards that will be given out by the Lord as our works will be judged. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, picking up in verse number 6, it says, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether abs uh, present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to he hath done, whether they be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But it mentions receiving rewards. And again, we're not going to turn back to 1 Corinthians right now, but it mentions back there in 1 Corinthians, again, either receiving rewards or suffering loss, but not being lost, as in being uh, someone who misses heaven. But again, the, the judgment seat of Christ and the rewards that we could, again, get through this kind of a judgment are mentioned in the scriptures. And I want to just mention, uh, again, them as we find them in the scripture. Let's back up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. There are several crowns that may be won by Christians. Again, these are rewards for service. These are rewards for uh, doing that which we are supposed to be doing. Those are rewards, again, that we have opportunity to gain and to obtain. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 25, it says, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And if therefore it, I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it up into subjection, that that which I by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be, be a castaway. And so it mentions an incorruptible crown. And again, this is, again, I believe, given to those that stay the course. As it says, and every man that strives for mastery is tempered in all things. Now, they do it for a corruptible God, us for an incorrupt. So we run, not as a cer certainty, so fight eyes, not one that beats the air. And so this is someone who just stays in the race. And an incorruptible crown for sticking to the course, for keeping under your body, for being temperate in life. There's also, if you turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 2 there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, there's what is called a crown of rejoicing. And again, some people try to define these, and I, I find it difficult sometimes in trying to define what these exactly, these crowns are about, but there's an incorruptible crown for someone, again, who stays the course, just like someone would uh, stay the course to get a crown or a prize at the end of a race. So is a Christian who focuses on the course and stays the course and sticks in the race. First uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 and verse number 19 and verse number 20, there's also mention in the Bible the crown of rejoicing. And found over in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, it says, For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of the Lord Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and our joy. And again, most uh, look at this being a, a crown one for bringing someone else to Jesus Christ. Sometimes they call it, again, a soul winner's crown or something along that lines. But it mentions... For you are crowned of rejoicing. This is a crown of rejoicing. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's another crown mentioned here in the Bible, and I'll just go over here and uh, look at this passage here quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 8. These are, again, judgments. These are, again, crowns given to us as a reward for service. Uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4 and verse number 8, it says, Henceforth there's laid up for me, so Paul's writing about this, and 
the fact that he's going to get this, therefore is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And so there's a crown that's associated with loving the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, a crown of righteousness. Paul says he's going to get it. He says others are going to get it. And so he mentions it here also in the scripture. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Going forward here in the Bible, there's also what's mentioned in the Bible as the crown of life. James chapter 1. And uh, verse number 12. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried... He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Crown of life is going to go to those that love him, but also those that are tempted and tried. And uh, it mentions here a crown of life. And again, uh, it mentions this crown of life in another passage. Let's turn over there to Revelation chapter 2. This crown of life seems to be associated with loyalty. It's like riding a race and getting a loyalty type of a crown. Revelation chapter 2, verse number 10, it mentions here, Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life, a loyalty type of crown, it seems, from what I can understand. Some have called it the martyr's crown, and certainly many martyrs will have gotten this crown. Uh, it's given to those that love him, and those that endure temptation, and those that are tried, and those that are faithful unto death, that says, be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. And so this is the loyalty type of a crown. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. There's one other crown that's mentioned here and, uh, <clears throat> in the scriptures. I just want to look at it briefly before we consider another judgment of God here. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 1. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 1. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, Peter writing here, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, and take the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not of filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither be lords over the God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away, it goes on and says some other thing. It talks about, again, these, these overseers, these people that are examples to the flock. Uh, many times it's called the pastor's crown, or it could be the missionary's crown, or the minister's crown. And uh, again, they're going to receive a, a crown for faithful service, but also for being examples to the flock, shepherding some of God's people. Let's turn to Romans chapter 14, but we know that every Christian is going to be judged. And again, our judgment is not to condemn us to hell, but again, to give us reward or 
not reward if we but build wood, hay, and stubble on this earth and do things that are just focused maybe on the things of this life. Romans chapter 14 and verse number 10, the Bible says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess, so that every one of us shall give of account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another, but judge rather that no man put a stumbling block or occasion to fall before his brother's way. I, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing that goes on from there. But we see here, so every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Verse number 12. And so even at this judgment, we will give account for our lives to God. Again, we're not going to look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, but again, we are to use our body to the, for the glory of God uh, because it's been bought with a price through that first judgment. But let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 30. Uh, there's also an overview, as we consider an overview, there's a judgment on sin on Calvary. There's a judgment seat of Christ, a, a judgment that is coming, uh, again, where uh, Christians will be rewarded for their service, their faithful service on the earth. But there's also in the Bible, and again, this is again something we'll cover, I believe, in detail here sometime in time to come. Again, I'm not sure when I'll do this, but I do plan on, on teaching along the lines of prophecy sometime, maybe uh, at the beginning of next year, or maybe even sooner, maybe uh, coming up in a few weeks, or maybe into the new year, I'm not sure. But uh, Jeremiah chapter 30 in verse number 1 through 4, there is also what is found in the Bible, the judgment of nations. And the Bible speaks specifically of the coming judgment of Israel and Gentile nations. And let's just look at a few scriptures here. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse number 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in the book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I'll cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And these are the words that the Lord shall say concerning uh, Israel, uh, concerning and also concerning Judah. Skip down to verse number 7. It's the last the that day is great, so there is none like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. And so there's a coming judgment of Israel, and that's coming. And again, there's a lot of thoughts that accompany that. Uh, again, the book of Daniel mentions some things about that. Ezekiel, certainly the book of Revelation, Joel, etc. And so there's a coming judgment of Israel. But let's turn to Psalm chapter 96. Psalm 96. Now, someone might say, well, Israel's going to be judged in the future. Yes, there's a time coming called Jacob's trouble when the Jews will be judged through a seven-year period of time. They will be tried. They will be tested. And uh, again, some will come out of that, again, out of that scenario on the right side, uh, spiritually and those sorts of things. But the judgment to come of, again, the Jewish nation, is coming. And so the Jews are here, Israel's still here, present today, and there's a judgment coming to them. But also Psalm 96 and verse number 10 through verse number 13, there's a judgment of nations. 
that will also come. This judgment will follow, I believe, the tribulation period. It will happen, again, when Christ returns. Again, the happening of that really becomes when Christ returns on, on horse there. It's mentioned there in the book of Revelation. But uh, read here Psalm 96, verse number 10. It says, Say to the heathen, the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established, that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful in all that is therein. When shall all the trees of the wood rejoice? Before the Lord, for he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with truth. So Jesus will come back as a judge to judge the nations. To begin that judgment of the nations, and as mentioned, and Paul again spoke about judgment to come, and there's many scriptures that deal with the judgment of nations, both Jew and Gentile. Again, you see some more, especially in the book of Matthew, concerning that judgment to come. And then if you turn to Revelation chapter 20, there's also another judgment that we want to just talk about briefly here today as we look at an overview of the judgments of God. There's the judgment of angels. And uh, Revelation chapter 20, uh, have you turn over there, Revelation chapter 20 and uh, verse number Verse number 7 there. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 7. It says, And when the thousand years were expired, Satan shall be loosed from his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations, which are at the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, together to gather to battle as the sand of the sea. And they went up in the, from the breath of the earth to compass the camp of the saints of God about in that beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they shall be tormented day and night forever. Now we see Satan being cast into the lake of fire here in Revelation chapter 20, and this is going to happen in time to come. He's not there. He again seeks as a roaring lion whom he may devour today, but he, along with fallen angels, will be judged with judgments. Uh, again, turn, if you would, over to Second Peter chapter 2. Some are not familiar with this particular judgment to come, but there's going to be a judgment of angels. And those angels being the fallen angels, we call them devils or demons, and they too shall be judged. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse number 4, the Bible says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down into hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, they shall be in a place of judgment. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It seems maybe odd to us, and I don't know why this is. But the Bible says that we will be in charge, that is, the saints of God, the servants of God, those who are saved by grace, will be charged with judging angels. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 2, it says, Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge in the smaller matter, smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge 
angels. Now much more things that pertain to this life. We shall judge angels. Believers are going to be in charge of judging the angels. Again, we find the angels being cast into everlasting fire. If you're taking notes, Matthew 25, verse number 41. But again, who's behind all judgment? Let's turn to John chapter 5, in verse number 22 and 23, as far as these coming judgment, the judgment of the nations, the judgment of angels, who's behind these judgments? The Lord Jesus is going to be behind these judgments. He's going to judge in these judgments. John chapter 5, and verse number 22, and verse number 23, it says, For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment to the Son, that all men should honor the Son as they honor the Father. He honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth my word, and believeth on him that hath sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And so Jesus, again, who was set in judgment for sin, will also judge as, again, God's appointed judge. And then we want to talk finally and quickly here to, let's turn to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, the final judgment that we want to consider here is the judgment of sinners. There's a judgment of saints and they'll receive reward or they may suffer a lot, but they will be saved yet as by fire for sure. In Revelation chapter 20, verse number 11, there's what we call the great white throne judgment. And this judgment is for the lost of all history. This is for the lost. is the most dreadful, terrible, and uh, most uh, horrible, in some ways, judgment that could come upon any person. As we see, again, the, it mentioned here in Revelation chapter 20, verse number 11, sinners will be judged and condemned and punished eternally and sent to the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. The sea gave up the dead that were in them, and death and hell delivered up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, every man according to his works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. The last great judgment of God is the great white throne judgment. This judgment will take place in the future. And as a great judgment, where the dead, that is those that are spiritually dead, uh, will be judged according to the works. They will be condemned to the place called the lake of fire. It says there, in death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. Again, verse 14, hell holds, in a, in a sense, sinners until they stand before God and they will be judged. And they will judge as the books are open, it says. And it says there, verse number 12, I saw the dead. A small great stand before God, the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged, all those things were written in the book according to their works. And so works will affect to some degree the eternal damnation and punishment of those that go to hell. 
Let's turn to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. That doesn't mean they'll get out and some will have, you know, this cool place in hell, you know, type of thing. Everybody that goes to hell will be tormented in hell. Luke 16, the Lord Jesus Christ wrote about the torments of hell. Matthew wrote about the torments and punishment hell. Again, Matthew and Luke talk about the darkness and the fires of hell. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 7, it says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire and taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus, who should be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. And so it talks about the Lord Jesus coming there to punish. Let's turn to uh, Psalm, and we'll close here today. Psalm chapter 9. Psalm chapter 9, verse number 7. There's the judgment of God. But God is able, through His righteous acts, and through salvation purchased by his son on the cross to keep us from the judgment of God. Psalm chapter 9, let's pick up there, verse number 7, it says, But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will uh, be a refuge for the oppressed a refuge in the time of trouble. And so I just point this out. He'll be a judge, but he can be a refuge. And it mentions there, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, has not forsaken them that seek thee. Sing praises to the Lord that dwelt in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. And so, although there is judgment, there's also the possibility of mercy. We see an overview of the judgments of God. The judgment of God is uh, uh, upon sin at Calvary, where redemption became possible and salvation possible through the Son. There's a judgment of the saved and the saints at their great at the judgment seat of Christ, given rewards after some time the rapture. There's a judgment of nations, both Israel and Gentile. There's a judgment of angels. And again, we'll be involved with that judgment that are saved. And there's the judgment of sinners where they will be separated from God forever after they have been judged and it's shown why they should be judged. Uh, just an overview there today. Verse 16, the Lord is known by judgment, which he executed is the wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forgot God, for the needy shall not altogether be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men, say law.